So if you're looking at the title slide, it is um, Genesis 17 that we're going to be looking at. And the, most Bibles give uh, section titles. Well, this, this chapter is one section. And the section title is The Covenant of Circumcision. And honestly, I looked ahead at what I was going to be speaking on today, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Certain messages you just, yes, I want to speak that one. But I looked at it, and it's like circumcision. Happy Father's Day. Couldn't have been a better pairing, honestly. I mean, it was like... <laughs> but I want to tell you, God's word is powerful. And as I've been um, studying and praying, and I met with uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Ben, and, and, and the excitement grew to bring this message to you. Uh, because it's the word of God, and God has a word for each one of us today from Genesis chapter 17. And... Um, when we, when we look at this chapter, this is pretty amazing. Uh, I'm not expecting you to read the text, but I just want you to see what's highlighted there. This is the entirety of the 27 verses of Genesis chapter 17. What is highlighted is the spoken word of God. That's powerful. Almost this entire chapter, a majority of this chapter, is God speaking directly to Abram. And in these words... 12 times he says, I will, I will, I will. This is the work of God that, he, that is being declared directly from the mouth of God to the ears of Abram. Nine times he says, my covenant. That's the promise of God. This is the working of God. And, and we need to, it's important that we embrace this truth is that so many times our faith and our religion can fall on a focus on what we're doing. But it's so important that we remember it's all about what he does. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. And God is active in this chapter, and he's active in our lives, and he's active in this moment. And God is speaking over us today, I will, I will, I will, I will. He's given us promises that we can count on because the covenants that he establishes are true, they're sure. When he says it, it will happen. So as we look at this chapter, I want to encourage you to be open what God is speaking to you today. I want you to say one, one additional prayer just over this word and over our hearts and over our minds as we set this time aside to hear from the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your people. God, and we ask that your spirit, that you would help us to be yielded to your spirit, for your spirit is speaking to each one of us. God, for each of us that are gathered in this place of worship, for each that are joining online, God, I thank you that, that your word is powerful, it's active, it pierces to the inner part of our being. God, that your spirit is active, that you are speaking to us, you're bringing truth to life and to light. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be open to you, God, to whatever you want to speak into our minds, Lord, help our minds to be open. God, clear our ears that we would hear you. God, help us to turn away from distractions and focus on you and on your word. And God, we just pray that you would do a work in our hearts. God, the innermost part of our being, Lord, draw us closer to you. God, we thank you, Lord, for this privilege to be together. 
And God, we offer ourselves this time to you. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So the way we're going to uh, go through this chapter, we're going to go through the verses section by section instead of reading through the whole chapter right away. And uh, we're just going to discuss the, uh, the sections of, of verses as we go through. So uh, this is the, uh, the introduction of what's, uh, what's happening. It sets a time, and uh, we're going to jump right into what God's saying. So verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 17, uh, for those that are on electronic devices, I'll be reading from the NIV. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now, the chapter breaks are helpful for us for references so that we can say turn to Genesis chapter 17. But sometimes the breaks, uh, we can miss some things when we start, uh, start at one chapter. So what we want to do is just go back one verse to the end of chapter uh, six, 16. And uh, there's something really important between those two. Because it says when, when Abram was 86 years old, Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram when he was 86 years old. 17 starts when Abram was 99 years old. So this is important because we have a time skip. There's 13 years between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. So uh, do the math. Ishmael's born when, um, when Abram is 86. He's now 99. So Ishmael is now 13 years old. So their plan Sarai and Abram coming together and saying, hey, let's have Hagar have a son to you, happened 13 years ago, and for 13 years, Abram has been father to Ishmael. Okay, it's, it's important for us to keep, keep this in mind. They're tracking along with God's plan done their way for 13 years. Okay, how many of us have done the longer? <laughs> okay, yeah, so I mean, these are things that we do, is that we... Um, we hear the word of God often, and, and then we have good intentions, and we want to help God along. And we can do it for a long time. But God doesn't abandon us. I want to flash back to what we've talked about uh, a number of weeks ago, is that the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings, that God does not abandon us, even if we've abandoned him, that he still comes to us and he speaks to us. And what happens is, Abram, again, is 99 years old. The Lord appears to him, and he speaks. And this declaration he makes, what is it? It's, I am God Almighty. Now, our Father's Day video started with, with God Almighty at the very beginning of that video. But if we go to the Hebrew, that says, it says, I am El Shaddai. And this is God giving additional revelation of himself, saying who he is. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Now, scholars have uh, read, and there, there are, are different uh, interpretations of exactly what El Shaddai, El Shaddai means, but, but kind of a, if you can bring them all together, a summary, summary statement of what, what many uh, feel is the essence of El Shaddai is this. I am the all-powerful and all-sufficient God who can do anything and meet any need. But I want you to embrace this. I am the all-powerful, all-powerful an all-sufficient God. You can do anything and meet any need. So this is how God comes to Abram after these 13 years. And this is how he declares himself to him. And then he gives instruction. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. The instruction is walk before me faithfully 
and be blameless. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Now let's just take that in, walk. Okay, now that seems pretty simple. It's just to walk, bef- walk, but it says walk before. Walk before me. Now, remember when we flash back to, uh, to the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, did they then walk before the Lord? They didn't, right? They hid. The sin, their failure, led them to hiding from God. And you can't hide from God, but yet we try. But what God is saying here is like, walk openly before me. Let's, so, so let's just walk through our day, like just so far today, since you got up and all that happened between when you awakened and, and right here at this moment. How much of that were you thinking about walking before the Lord? I, 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 honestly, that, you know, I prepared this message, and I can definitely tell you that that was not forefront in my mind that I was getting ready and preparing and spending time here this morning already. But what God is saying is walk openly before me. Walk in an awareness that you are in my presence. Now, this isn't to be scared because we can see like the all-seeing eye and big brother and all those things. That's a different perspective. But God is saying, walk openly before me. Know that I am with you, that I'm overseeing you, that I am El Shaddai, the all-powerful, the all-sufficient one. Walk in this reality and walk faithfully. Even when we are faithless, he is still faithful. But he's calling us to be like him, to be faithful and to be blameless. Now, blameless here does not mean per- perfect. Okay, blameless, uh, it's, it's, you know, often when we think blameless, it's like without fault. You know, there, there are no issues or anything like that. But, but if you go to the root, it actually says that, you, that we are to be single-hearted. That we are to be sincere. That we are to be wholly devoted to the Lord. Again, that's not perfection. But it is a posture of our hearts being committed to him. So walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And then in verse 2, then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now this is confirming, some other translation says, I will confirm my covenant with you. So it's not making something new. There's a covenant established with Abram. He was called in chapter 12. Um, to, to go to a land that God would show him and he would be made into a great nation. That, that uh, covenant was established legally in chapter 15. So this is confirmation. He's saying, what I said, we're doing it. Let's go forward. So then we move to verse 3 and we see the response. Abram fell face down and then God continues to talk. So in response, Abram falls face down and God said to him, as for me... This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. So God appears. I am El Shaddai. Calls him. Confirms his covenant. And what does Abram do? I wanted to physically do that because we can read and go right past important things. Let's just do that as a demonstration. Because I want to fall face down before the Lord. Like, 
This man is 40 years my senior, and he fell face down at the word of the Lord. And as I've been pondering this, convicted, God, do I respond to your word to me this way? Now, what does that mean, falling face down? I believe there's a humility before God. I believe that there's an awe before God. I believe that there's an understanding of how great he is and who I am. So am I saying like, okay, we should always be face down? No, I don't know what it looks like because the thing is is that there are religions around the world that they are constantly face down before their God. And they are disciplined in that. but it can be an outward form. It can be a habit. And this is anything that we, that we do in our faith that, that good things can become habit where we, where we lose the meaning. But what we do need to do is, is be understanding who is speaking to us and what he is speaking to us and, and, and have appropriate response. So I don't know about you. So, so like, like for me, when I was preparing, I was, I was reading, I was studying, it's like, God, I, I just need to get in this position like Abram was just to see what you do, like in me. Like I, you know, so, so there are things that we, that, that are important that we do that just as we take that step of faith and God works because it's not an issue of what I'm doing on the outside, it's what's in my heart. I can be face down and be standing very tall inside. But God is calling us to be humble before him. And I'll tell you, the leadership of Grace Fellowship, there have been times and meetings where we have gone face down before God. And that's not an act. It's like, hey, guys, let's, hey, ladies, let's go face. No, it's the spirit of God speaking something in us. And sometimes it's an all, like, overwhelmed with God. And sometimes it's like in all of my word, God, I'm undone. I'm broken before you. God, I just want to put my face on the floor. Um, I've had friends in the past that have sometimes said it's, you know, to suck carpet, <laughs> You know, I, I, don't know, I don't know what you want to call it, but just be open to how God would have you to respond to him. Be humble before him. But I want to hear what, I want you to hear what happens. God is expanding and building on the covenant that he has already established with Abram. And he's saying this, he's saying, you're going to be the father of many nations. Before he said, you're going to be the father of a great nation now he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And then he adds to it that you're going to be, you're going to be or kings will come from you. God's expanding on his, on the covenant. He's not changing it. He's growing it. And here's something that I think that we can learn from this. Is that, will God, that God will bring us progressive revelation as we walk in faith with him. God will bring us progressive revelation as we walk in faith with him. Now, you think about salvation. For those of us that have been born again, when we were, again, we heard testimony. I mean, the testimonies were so phenomenal last week. But the stories of what God did when, when, when it was realized that, that, that each person was lost and he realized that Jesus paid the price for their sin and that through Jesus there could be eternal life, complete deliverance from sin, that, that the penalty of sin is taken. And that salvation is such a huge step and this incredible revelation and it literally moves us from death to life and 
There's so much more revelation. Then we start to realize that, that there's, there are things in us that we didn't even realize were there that God wants to take care of. He wants to free us from. And we move further. So it's, you know, we're saved. We're being saved. And eventually we will be completely saved. We'll be delivered in, in, the, in the fullness. There are progressive revelations of who God is. Even today at the very first, uh, the, the first or the opening of this chapter, we're seeing God giving greater revelation of who he is. And, and I just... I feel like whatever I know of God and the goodness of God and the fullness of God and the character of God and the nature of God, man, there is so much more. And I can keep saying that every day of my life, that whatever I discover of God, there's so much more, who he is. Intimacy with God, where we really, we're, we're open to him and we sense his openness to us and we have these, these close relationships. Whatever we have, there is more. And this has been said often, and I'm convinced that it's still never easy. One of the things that grows our intimacy most with God is the hard times of life. Man, I don't like that. But it's true. That as we go through difficulties of life and we find deeper pain and deeper depths of hurt and of loss and of loneliness that there's this opportunity for us to grow deeper in intimacy with God. So El Shaddai is used throughout the Old Testament. Do you know what book it's used most in? Job. That it's the hardships of life that often bring about this deeper intimacy, this closer walk with God. There's a saying that I heard Pastor Jeff say many times here, God's just getting started. That we look at the fullness of what we are experiencing, the move of God, the change in people's lives, ministries that are touching more and more people. And there's so many times I've heard, God's just getting started. And like at times, honestly, I've, I've, I've looked and I've seen so much beauty and it's like, what do you mean he's just getting started? Like, this is like so much. And you know what? I'm growing more and more to believe he's just getting started. That what God's doing here is beautiful beyond what we can speak with words. What we're seeing lives being changed, lives being touched by the love of God. And there is so much more that he wants to do. And there's something that I've done for um, I guess over nine years, almost every day. I don't want to become too legalistic. But almost every day I have 26 cents in my pocket. Now we don't use cash much, I get it. That's not what it's about. But I have a penny and a quarter. It came from a message about the grace of God where if I could, this isn't a value issue, but it's a measurement issue, that if I could take the grace of God that I've currently experienced in my life to this point and represent it by this penny, God's got quarter grace for me. Like the goodness and the faithfulness, the, all the, his grace has been so abundant, if it could be represented by the penny, God's got a quarter grace for me. You realize that, that as, I, as I understand that, I'm open and I, I receive and I grow in understanding and walking in his grace and, that, and I experience the quarter, that's my new penny. That, that there's always so much more. Now the thing is, is that I've told you like for probably, over, it's over nine years, I've, I typically have that in my pocket, but can I tell you how many times I put it in my pocket, it's there all day and I don't think about it or walk in its truth. But it doesn't mean I stopped carrying it because I was reminded today. 
And we need to have remembrances of how much more God has for us. So part of the way God helps Abram is to say, new name, brother. You've been Abram. That means exalted father. You've got a new name as of today. It's Abraham. And Abraham means father of a multitude or father of nations. I want you to understand that, again, at the end of chapter 16, we heard that, that Abram became a dad at age 86. So for 86 years, he would introduce himself to people. And, I'm Abram, and names meant something. People knew it. I'm Abram. Oh, you're exalted father. How many kids do you have? 86 years, he's living with his name, exalted father, and he's without a child. So now for the last 13 years, it's a little different. Hi, I'm Abram. Hi, Abram, exalted father. How many kids do you have? I've got one, Ishmael. Now God says, new name, Abraham, father of a multitude, father of many nations. So now every time somebody's speaking to him and, and, and they say, hey, Abram, no, 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 I'm Abraham now, father of multitude. How many kids? There's going to be another one coming along. But what, he, what God does, he, he gives us a name that speaks into what he has called, called us to be. He gives us an identity that goes beyond what our current reality is. So he becomes father of multitude, father of many nations. So you think about this, is that we've read earlier how God spoke to Abram. And he said, look at the dust on the ground. If you can count it, that's your descendants. Look at the stars in the sky. If you can count them, you can count your descendants. Now he's saying, listen to your name. Know what I'm speaking into your life. And God is desiring for us to hear this. His word speaking his identity over us. Taking us into a new reality as we are discovering the fulfillment of what God's word is that has been spoken over us. Moving to verse 7, God continues to speak. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, everlasting is used four times in this chapter, three times referring to everlasting covenant and here to the land as an everlasting possession. That everlasting is perpetual. It is ongoing. But look at how descendants are mentioned here. The descendants and the generations, the Abraham. This is, this is what is so significant because he's only going to see a certain amount happen in his lifetime, but it is what goes beyond. It's the descendants. It's the generations to come. That's how God is fulfilling his word to Abraham. This will happen, and it's all centered around who God is to them, to be your God and God of your descendants. The land, possession to you and your descendants after them, and I will be their God. It's a perpetuation of faith going beyond his present life, to his descendants, to generations to come, everlasting, on and on and on. Now, how often do we live with this perspective that our lives are far beyond the, the moments that we breathe this air on this earth. I have a friend of mine that 
felt called to this area, to this region, to York County. And he said, I'm willing to sow into this. I'm willing to give my life for this, even if I never see the harvest. I heard him say that many years ago, and I thought, my heart's for this region, but am I willing to give my life for the future, for those that will come after my life? And by God's grace, he's growing that more and more in my life, that, that if, if I see the fruit or not, it, that's not the issue. So I'm faithfully giving myself for those that will come after me. You know, I've had the honor of walking beside many people who have lost, lost loved ones. And there are those that have lived a strong life of faith. And we're, we're at that time where we're remembering their life and at times afterwards. When it's been a strong life of faith that's pointed to Jesus, you realize that testimony is going on and on and on beyond. Well, it's Father's Day and I've often spoken of my father's uh, illness and his passing. But we anticipated, because of my dad's life, that potentially at, at, his, at the service where we remembered and celebrated his life and gave honor to God, we anticipated that there could be many people come to the Lord like that, that, at that very time. And to my knowledge, it didn't happen. But yet we saw down the road years after people still being impacted by my father's faith. People literally coming to Christ years after my dad passed. And I'm not giving credit. Anything good that happens is God. And God works through people. And certainly probably wasn't just my dad's witness, but my dad's witness had impact. And that's true that we need to live our lives beyond our lives, understanding that we have impact that goes to generations and to those that, that live even after we're gone. We're going to see this even more as we go forward in the text. Moving to Genesis, Genesis 17, verse 9. We're going to read down through 14. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a, from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this is, this is a sign of the covenant. I want you to think about it. When, um, when God established covenant with Noah, uh, the sign of the covenant was the rainbow in the sky. When God established, establishes covenant later with Moses, the, covenant, the sign of the covenant is the Sabbath. This is a different deal. God's establishing covenant with Abraham, with Abraham now and his descendants, and he's saying, this is the sign of my covenant, Circumcision. Now, circumcision wasn't a new thing in that day. Other cultures, other people circumcised. But what God was doing, he was taking something that, that may be a, 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 a custom or a practice of other people, and he's giving significance to it. He's giving meaning to it. And he's saying that this is not an option. This is an obligation now. That this is your response that establishes 
the covenant. You're, you're not making covenant with me. You're stepping into, you're participating with the covenant that I have established. Okay? So, a number of weeks ago, Pastor Ben was speaking about the Tower of Babel. And as he was talking about it to help us to understand, he showed us a picture of the ziggurat. I don't know how many people remember, but it was a picture that showed uh, what the Tower of Babel may have looked like. And as he's teaching, I'm thinking, wow, you know, a picture really speaks a lot toward understanding. So we're talking about circumcision. Let's look at the next slide. How many wondered? These words speak plenty. Because <laughs> these words are God's explanation of what the circumcision is. So the circumcision is cutting foreskin, okay? And what God's doing is saying, when you do this, you are, you're, you're showing that you, again, are, are receiving that you're participating in my covenant. The covenant that I've given is unconditional. It's going to happen. Abraham, I've given you this land for, for you and your descendants. You know, uh, kings are going to come from you. The nation, great, you know, many nations will come from you. That's all going to happen. But yet on an individual basis, there needs to be a stepping into that covenant or participation with that covenant. So that's what circumcision is. It's the sign of the covenant. That's what's spoken in this passage. And it's God's covenant in man's flesh. It's a, a permanent change that, that is evident in man's flesh. That is the sign of this covenant of God with man. Now there's some significance, I believe. Like why did God choose that and you know, some things that we don't have a clue, and honestly, when we get to heaven, it won't matter, but it would be kind of interesting to know. Um, but I've done, with some reading, I've found some significance, though, of, of why God chose what he chose. One thing is that this, the mark, the sign of this covenant is connected to reproduction. That, that it brings remembrance that God is active in bringing children into this world. God gave the command to multiply, to, um, to, have, to have children. And this puts God right there, that, that, it's, that, that as the, this mark of the covenant, the signs of the, of the covenant is there, it's, it's in, in reproduction. A second thing that I believe it speaks to is that speaking to sexual purity, that speaking to the, the reality that sexuality belongs to God. And that sexuality is intended to be within a marriage, a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. And I believe this mark and this sign that God has given is, is to help us to see the purity that God calls us to. Now, as a nation, there's such an obsession with sexuality. And we are so lost as a culture. But God is calling us to his way because his way is what's best for us. And we can get off track, but, but even when we fail, God is there to call us back and to give us power to be restored. And there are many men in this congregation who can give, can give testimony of the way that God has called them from sexual impurities and from involvement in things that, that were not honoring to God. And God has brought deliverance and God has set free. Praise be to God. For those that may be struggling, there is help and there is hope. Know that, that through the power of God, through his people, through his spirit, through his word, there can be victory. God desires that for us.
There are ministries with Band and Brothers and Life Recovery and others that, that, that can come along and, and does, they do come alongside of people and help strengthen and undergird and bring sexual purity as God has defined it. And another thing is that I feel that it's a permanent reminder when we look at, the, at circumcision, it's a permanent reminder of the covenant with God that within the physical body is this reminder of God's promises to us and our participation, our agreement and stepping into the covenant that he has provided. So a broad truth that I would like to apply to this that is not just for males, but this is, again, a broad truth is this, is that dealing with the flesh as God directs is necessary to move forward in our faith. Dealing with the flesh as God directs is necessary to move forward in our faith. I was drawn to a passage in Joshua 5, and I want to um, just give you just a, a, some background to it and what happened there because I think it's, it's so powerful how it speaks to this. So the promise to Abraham is that for 400 years, God foretold this, for 400 years, his descendants would be in slavery, but then God would bring them out of slavery. It happens, okay? So, so his people... His, his descendants are in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. God miraculously delivers by the hand of God. God parts the Red Sea. Remember the story. And the Israelites cross. The Egyptians are killed behind them in the, in the sea. Then they're in the wilderness, and God has promised the promised land. But then spies are sent out, 12 spies. Two come back with a positive report. It's amazing. Let's go. Ten are saying, they're looking at it from the flesh level. And they're saying, it's good, but we can't take them. And the people as a whole listen to the 10. And they say, no, we can't do it. So what happens is that for 40 years, until that generation dies off, for 40 years, God's people are wandering in the wilderness until that generation has passed. Now they're ready to enter the promised land. Moses passes on. Joshua is the new leader. God miraculously brings them across the Jordan, parts the waters again. And now instead of an army chasing them, they're going as an army into the promised land. And the people of the land are scared. They've heard what God does through these people and that they are God's. So, so I mean, it's incredible what is set up. But what happens in the first part of, of Joshua chapter 5, these, these verses 1 through 12, I want to encourage you to read it. What happens is that they cross the river. It's miraculous. They're ready to go to take the land. And God says, wait, wait. Why? Because there's disobedience that has followed you. The people that are now entering the promised land, the males had not been circumcised when they were in the wilderness. There was a drop of covenant. The people that disbelieved did not obey the word of God. And that impacted their children who grew up so literally what happens is God says, you can't go to war yet. Circumcision. You need to enter into this covenant as I've instructed. So literally all the males who had not been circumcised in the wilderness are circumcised and the name of the place where it was done is translated Hill of Foreskins. No joke. I can't make that up. <laughs> But they're circumcised. They're brought into this covenant, like, again, in their physical bodies. 
And then there's healing. And then what's so amazing is that right after that, it's Passover is observed. And then they go and they take Jericho. But they needed to take care of the issue in their flesh in order to move forward in victory in the Lord. Now, God brought the victory miraculously. The story of Jericho, read it. It's incredible. But they needed to take care of the issue in their flesh. And it's true for us is that we need to take care of the issues in our flesh because even though we're born again, for those of us that are in Christ, we're made new and God looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ and there continues to be this flesh issue that we're gonna deal with as long as we're here. And we need to take care of those flesh issues on an ongoing basis so that we can step into what God has for us, the victories, the, 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 the growth, what he is desiring for our lives. We need to deal with the flesh issues. So how does this circumcision apply to us today as Christians? So physical circumcision, this is throughout the New Testament, many times it's addressed. Physical circumcision, even though it preceded the law, is not an obligation for followers of Christ. That physical circumcision does not, is not required. That's a matter of personal choice, and for many it's, a, it's a determining what's, what's healthiest and things like that for their kids. But it's not required for Christians today. Again, there's many passages that we could look at uh, in the New Testament, but that's clear throughout Scripture. But circumcision today applies to every single one of us because there's a circumcision of the heart. So even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, there's two places, but I've listed Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, that says this, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. God wants, there, wants us to experience the circumcision of the heart, this permanent marking within us that is embracing God's covenant, the new covenant that we have in Christ that says, I am committed. I'm going I'm to allow this inner part of my being to be cut for you. And this is what God's calling us into. And we, as, even though uh, some, of, some of us may be of descent where we can trace our bloodline back, back to Abraham, New Testament gives a completely uh, expanded explanation and understanding of who belonged to Abraham. In Galatians 3, beginning with verse 6, it says this, So also Abraham, and this is a quote, believed God, and we've already read this, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. We who have faith are children of Abraham. That is, we have professed Christ, our faith in Christ and the work of, of Jesus Christ on the cross, that we are ch his children, that he is the, a fa the father of faith, and we have stepped into this relationship. Then it goes on in Romans, uh, Paul writes this in chapter 2, verses 20 and 29, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So what was an outer symbol, what was an outer sign, an outer marking has now become an inward experience, an inward commitment, an inward, inward identification. And that is how the circumcision applies to us today as believers. Moving on to verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, 
You are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So the new name, Sarai, has different interpretations. or there's, there's different thoughts of what that may, may mean. But the new name, Sarah, means princess or queen. So Abraham leaves God's presence and walks up to his wife and says, I'm not going to call you princess. <laughs> God told me to. And that's, that's true. But I want you to realize what's happening here is that this is the first time as we're seeing this ongoing revelation of God and his covenant to them that this is the first time that we're hearing that God specifically saying that, that what I have promised is going to come through Sarah. You remember last week, it wasn't happening. So, you know, the decision was made, okay, let's, Hagar. God's saying, you went your way, I'm going to show you my way. And it's from her. Abram, all along you've noticed, known it's through you. But now, look, it's from her. So there's been a process of clarification over 25 years as God has been giving his word ongoing to Abraham. Now, you could look back and say, okay, well, God, why didn't you just do this up front before he left his home, before he came here? I don't know about you, but I realize I can't handle all that God has for me right now. That God knows what we have need of. He knows what, what we can even experience of the truth and what we, what we have the capacity uh, to receive. And God leads us personally. But if there's constant, God's desiring right now today to give you fresh revelation because you're at a different place than you were yesterday. And in our journey, God wants to bring greater and greater revelation. And this revelation is incredible. It's amazing. And what is Abraham's response? He fell face down. Now, between him falling face down earlier and falling face down now, at some time he got up. Don't know what happened there. But, but, it, but it's, it's neat to me, though, that, that when he's hearing this, again, it's this overwhelmed thing again, falling face down before God. This is a little different. He laughed. He fell face down before God. He laughs, and then he starts talking to himself. And he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And then he talks to God, and he says to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. There's a lot of conjecture about why Abraham laughed. Um, like, is it like in disbelief? Is it, yeah, it, it could be. Some people believe it. it's overwhelmed joy. It's like, really, like, I didn't think, there, there's no way that even crossed my mind. It doesn't even seem possible. Some of us, when we're nervous, we laugh, right? I, I don't know. I don't know the reason for his laughter, but we do know what he's processing. It's like, how is this possible? Like, God, this is like so far beyond. But the interesting thing is that God doesn't address his laughter. He doesn't correct him. God's, even though Abraham's laughing and he's asking the questions to himself, God knows that. But I want you to look what Abraham does because it's what we do so often. God's given this incredible revelation, this incredible plan 
And Abraham says, what about my plan? Ishmael. Literally, I mean, his response to this is Ishmael. Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And, you know, it'd be easy for us to criticize Abraham for doing that. Like, how could you do that? But you realize that for 13 years, he's been living as the father of Ishmael. And he's probably been living with a, with a, a perspective that Ishmael is God's answer. That Ishmael is the way that God's promise is going to be fulfilled. And we often live with Ishmael so long that Ishmael becomes what we're more concerned about than the new word from God, than the greater revelation from God. Not condemnation, revelation. That we can do this. That we're so accustomed to what we've been been living with and, and embracing that God's fresh word, it's kind of like a seed. And his word is a seed. But like it takes a little time for it to take root. It takes a little time for there to be understanding. But here's the beautiful thing is that God is patient with us and he knows what we need. And you know what God's response is? Crazy. God said yes. Abram's saying, bless Ishmael. God says yes. And he goes on, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. And Isaac means he laughs. Interesting. Names. Abraham laughs. His son's going to call it, be called he laughs. Sarah, next chapter, she hears, she laughs. Isaac is born. God gets the last laugh. <laughs> Told you. Told you it was going to happen. Because what he's saying is like, yes, I'm going to grant your request. Yes, I'm going to bless Ishmael. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Ishmael's name means he hears. God hears. So God literally like he does this play on, you know, he's using the name even as he's talking to, uh, to Abraham. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful. I will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. He's the child of promise. He's the miracle boy. He's the one that can't happen apart from my work. He's the one that goes beyond what seems even, even likely. He's the one that my covenant is through. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Start getting the nursery ready. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. God honored Abraham's request. He brought blessing to Ishmael. And for the past 4,000 years, that blessing has been working against the descendants of Isaac. We need to take care of our flesh. We need to set aside those things that we so often embrace, our plans that are our plans and not God's. If not, there will be conflict ongoing. So God did. He gave blessing as Abraham requested. But the covenant, the covenant is through God's way. The covenant is through God's provision. The covenant is through what seems impossible with man. That 
is the way the covenant is fulfilled, is through Isaac. What a way to end this chapter. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household and bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. I did not count how many times the word circumcised is in there, but it's a lot. And this is how we're ending our message. (laughs) But here's the focus. Here's the focus. On that very day. That's the key. And here's what's so important for us, for you and for me. Immediate obedience to God's word displays faith and love. Abraham is the father of faith. And when he heard God's word, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult, no matter how much it would be understood or not understood, he obeyed. And that's so many times when God comes to us, boy, we need to, re- we need to respond because the delay can often lead to the reasoning which can sometimes lead to disobedience. When God's speaking, when we know that God has clearly said it, let's say, yes, now. We need to respond with this immediate obedience, and that is that display of faith, but it's also our display of love. The circumcised heart is shown by love for God and then that outpouring of love to others. That my obedience to obey is better than sacrifice. To hear the word of God, to do it, is that display of faith and love. Now, we've already said that Abraham's the father of all who believe. I want to close by looking at this, is that we're talking about the spiritual relationship. And there are those that are spiritual fathers spiritual parents in our lives. May not be biological. Some, some of us are blessed to, to be able to trace a biological line and see also a spiritual line. But we're looking at how God takes a changed heart and allows that changed heart then to pour out and to speak into others. God is calling all of us to not just be changed for our sake, but we change so that, so that, it, that, that change, that, that work of God in our life can be poured out into others and have eternal impact on other lives. In the New Testament, we have that, that Peter was a spiritual father to Mark. Paul is considered a spiritual father. This is, this is mentioned many times to Timothy, to Onesimus, to, uh, to the church in Corinth. We have the Apostle John where he's writing and he, and he refers to the church that he's writing to as my children. And God is desiring for us to, uh, to, again, have covenant with God, to receive the new covenant through Christ and then be purposeful in, in allowing that life then to impact others and bring others to Christ. And it's not just about a decision. It's about discipleship. It's about that multiplication. It's about coming alongside of doing life together, investing in other lives, being there for others. So for many of us, we can point to a person or some people in our lives that have have been spiritual parents to us. I want to ask you this. Who is God leading you to? 
to invest in? Who is God putting in your life that he is desiring for you to come alongside of and to build up? So as we look back over this message, I'd like us to just consider a few things. We're going to spend some time before the Lord in worship and just as always, it's like, how does God desire to apply his word to my life right now? What is he speaking? What does he desire for me to hear and to do in obedience? So the first question I have is this, will you ask God to reveal himself more fully to you? And to allow your circumstances to be the tool that he will use to know him more. Will you allow him? Will you invite him to reveal himself in a greater way as he desires? How is God calling you? This gets very specific to us individually. How is God calling you to deal with your flesh today? What is there that he's desiring for you to take care of to get it out of the way, to crucify the flesh, to, to set aside your own desires so that his life and his spirit can be more fully experienced in and through you. And then who is God leading, how is God leading you to be a spiritual parent to others? So I don't know how God is speaking to you, but I know that God is speaking. I don't know what word he is, he is speaking directly to you right now, but I just want to encourage you to say, God, I want to hear And as I hear, I want to right now commit today to respond in obedience, to take that step. So God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this time in your presence. We thank you, uh, God, for the privilege it is to be together with you.